Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Tonight, as we look into the Word of God in the book of Judges, um, It wasn't that long ago that our Bible reading plan took us through the book of Judges. And uh, how many here, uh, let me see your hand if you've read all the way through the book of Judges one time in your life. All right, a few. Glory to God. You you know what's weird about Judges? Everything. (laughs) Judges is such a weird book full of strange stories. But in the midst of the book of Judges, we find the account of a very famous character in the Bible named Samson. And tonight I want to take a, a, another uh, opportunity to, uh, to examine his story and to learn some lessons. There is a certain view that we have of Samson. If you uh, learned about Samson in your Sunday school class when you were a youngster, you might have learned about Samson, and uh, when you heard about him, you, you, know, you thought of, uh, you thought of some muscular uh, weightlifter. I, I, I have a picture here of a fountain that is uh, in the nation of Russia. There he is. This is Samson uh, cast in, uh, in gold-plated iron. And uh, this is him as he's depicted killing the lion in the Bible. Now, this, this is like the typical way that we think about Samson, some superhero some uh, Greek god of power and strength. He's like Arnold in 1980, you know, with, with all the testosterone and the, uh, the ripping muscles. And, uh, and he's famous, of course, for his supernatural strength. We think about a chiseled, shirtless Samson tearing apart the jaws of a roaring lion with his bare hands. As you look at that picture, you could almost hear the sound of the jawbones cracking under the strength of his magnificent arms. He looks every part the hero. He gives form to courage and bravery. This is the kind of guy that they put on the cover of romance novels. The problem with this picture that we have of Samson is that I don't think it's true. Now, I can't confirm this based only on the biblical account, but I don't think that Samson had superhuman muscles like that. It does say that he has superhuman strength, but I never read anything about muscles. The problem with this image is that to become a person like that takes time, takes discipline, takes commitment, kind of commitment that I don't have. Takes the commitment to skip, you know, uh, cheeseburgers, 
and french fries and potato chips takes discipline and time and commitment. Uh, And when you read about the life of Samson, I don't read about a life of discipline, commitment. And so uh, what we see in Samson's life, and I want to take a few snapshots of his life tonight so we can learn something. I see someone else. And if I think, I think if we were to update the story of Samson to today, he might look something more like this. <laughs> but we can keep that one up there. Uh, I think Samson has more to do with that guy than he does with the previous one. And I believe that the same sickness that Samson had is still alive and well in our generation today. So join with me. We're going to read uh, a, a scripture here in Judges 16, beginning with verse 15. This is uh, as he is uh, coming to the end of his story, uh, and she, he's having a conversation here with Delilah. And she said to him, how can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass When she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him, so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man." When Delilah saw that, she, that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more. He has told me all his heart, so the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to torment him, and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as before at other times, and I will shake myself free. And this, I believe, is one of the saddest sentences in all the Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus, and I thank you for every person gathered here tonight. Thank you for your word, which contains so much power, Lord, even for our lives today in 2019. I pray, God, that you would help us to connect ourselves and see the parallels of our lives with the life of Samson. Let us learn tonight and let us hear your voice even through these these words. We thank you all you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. This is a message I've titled, Samson's Lessons for the Modern Man. And I want to begin by looking with you at the pursuit of self. Uh, If you are a human being, you know what it means to be selfish. Our first days, weeks, months, and years on this planet are almost 100% 
self-seeking. Can you say amen? If you've ever had a little baby in your house, you know that the most selfish creature on this planet is a little baby. Demanding time, demanding attention. They don't care if you're tired. They don't care if you're hungry. They don't care if you're uncomfortable. If in the middle of the night it's time for the diaper to be changed, they're going to seek self first. That is the definition of selfishness. Now, it's a good thing they're cute. That's why we keep them around anyway. And the whole purpose of a parent is to teach that child how to understand that life is more than just about you. That for all of the years that we spend uh, sacrificing for our children, we are showing them that life is not about me. It's not about self. It's about learning to care for the needs of others. But the problem is that even though we grow and we begin to have this understanding to some level, we still are infected by the curse of self-seeking. See, the problem is we live in a culture that is obsessed with self. It gives us, because we are so immersed in it, it's hard for us to identify. It's kind of like if you asked a fish to explain water. I mean, you, you couldn't, he, he couldn't give you a good definition because it's where he lives. It's what he breathes. It's an everyday part of his life. And I believe tonight selfishness is the same for us. When it comes to making plans for our lives, this is many times our first consideration. Oh, there's an impact team coming up. What's the food like? It's always amazing to me. Whenever I go overseas, I come back home. Like just from Nigeria, I was there for a week. Come back home, and the the first thing that people always ask me about is not how many souls got saved. How many people got healed when you were there, Pastor? How many sermons did you preach? You know what the question always is? How is the food? What's the food like? Were you comfortable? Did you have hot showers? That, because that's where our minds meet. How comfortable were you, Pastor? Now let me tell you, I was not comfortable the whole time. But can I tell you something? It was much better than living 100 years ago. Right? So I was thankful for what I had. And I was thankful for what I ate, even if it gave me a few little tummy aches. But the idea is that we are so tuned into this mentality of how did it affect yourself? It affects everything that we do. It's because we are so used to the material success that we have here in the United States, in the West. Can I tell you, we have more choices today about more things than any generation that has ever come before us. Have you been to Walmart lately? Have you been? Yes, you have. Have you been down the cereal aisle? Do you know how many... Ginger knows how many choices you have for breakfast cereal in the morning. There's like 200 of them. Can you imagine? Our ancestors were like, can I pick one berry off of one bush? to have something in the morning, and we go and have 200 choices. And we say to ourselves, yeah, that's normal. That's how it should be, because I'm in control. And I have choices to make because I am important. 
And we do this about almost every decision in our lives. What kind of school am I going to go to? What kind of education am I going to have? What kind of sports am I going to play? What kind of church will I go to? What kind of woman do I want to pursue? Or man should I pursue? Or what kind of career choice should I go to this company or that company? It's like the Walmart lifestyle. I've got all of these choices at my fingertips. And I'm going to choose what's best for me. And we think that that's normal. And to our selfish mentality, it is normal. It gives us the illusion that we have control over everything in our lives. There are some real control freaks around here. I'm not going to point anybody out. (laughs) But we love to have control over things, don't we? And if something doesn't go the way that we think it should, ooh, watch out, buddy. People start coming into my office when life doesn't go the way they thought it was going to go. And we assume that uh, we, we have control over things, but we don't. And when we get into this mentality and when we give ourselves to it, what happens is we begin to have expectations about life. And when life doesn't meet our expectations, do you know what happens? We get disappointed. Turns into depression. Turns into anxiety. I read an article the other day that said that uh, children ages 12 to 18 are more depressed today than they ever have been in American history, attempting more suicides. And it's sad because this is what we've told them. You are special. You are amazing. You, you, uh, You played soccer for a whole season, didn't win one game. Here's your trophy. Great job, Junior. You stink. Here's your trophy. You're a winner. You're a champion. No wonder we expect everything to go wonderfully for the rest of our lives. We can choose where to live, who to follow on social media, who to hang out with, what brand I'm going to wear on my clothing, What image I'm going to put on my profile? I'm going to put the one where I've got my face, look at this guy, just at the perfect angle. I've got to get the sun to go across the beard to light up the hairs. I've got to get the right filter for the right moment so that when people see my profile image, they will say, wow, he's amazing. She is beautiful. Stunning. I was just talking with uh, Dennis's son yesterday. He said, he said that there's a girl in his school that has 330,000 followers on Instagram. I said, what is she doing? What is going on here? She shouldn't be famous. Do you understand what that does to the human brain? How it begins to affect her now all of a sudden... I'm important. People care what I think. People look at me and see something special. 
Oh, I'm telling you, if you don't think it's in you, you better check again. Because it's in you. And the great enemy is anyone or anything who begins to limit our choices. Mom and dad, you think you're going to limit my choices? Uh Uh-uh. You are the enemy. Government, if you're going to limit my choices, you're the enemy. Even we say, God, you can't limit my choices. You can't say what I can or cannot do. One person said it like this. The modern hero is the outsider. His experience is rootless. He can go anywhere. He belongs nowhere. Being alien to nothing, he ends up being alienated to everything. The borders of his country are the sides of his skull. This is the generation of self-fulfillment and self-seeking. Steve Jobs said it well. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition. Follow your heart and your intuition. Hang on to that for a second. One more example. Anybody here been to Disney? Disney World? Wow. So at Disney World, they have this amazing fireworks and light show. And during the show, there's a narration that takes place. Are you ready? This is what they say. This is the center of American Western uh, uh, amazing fulfillment of freedom and courage and material wealth and, oh my goodness, the happiest place on earth. And what is the message that they are telling to this generation? Here's what they say. Each of us has a dream, a heart's desire. It calls to us. And when we are brave enough to listen, bold enough to pursue, that dream will lead us on a journey to discover who we are meant to be. All we have to do is look inside our hearts and unlock the magic within. Your destiny lies within you. You just have to be brave enough to see it. What a bunch of selfish garbage. (laughs) And let me tell you why tonight. I'm not here to, to bust any balloons or stomp on your dreams. I'm here to give you the truth in love, of course. The truth is that when you follow your heart, you're going to get hurt. It reminds me so much of the life of Samson. Samson for us is a living Bible example of what it looks like for a person to follow your own selfish desires. Let me give you a few examples from his life. Judges 13, just a few chapters before. Verse 24, the woman, uh, his parents, they could not conceive. They uh, begged and pleaded and prayed to the Lord, God, give us a son. And God answered their prayers. And it says that the woman bore a son, called his name Samson. The child grew, the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana. His name, Samson, it literally means brilliant 
as the Son. What do we learn from this? He had a privileged home and upbringing, much like all of us did, living in this most richest land in the world. In all of time in history, we have only known privilege and wealth. And don't tell me you're not wealthy. If you don't think you're wealthy, go visit Lagos, Nigeria, or go visit Bulgaria, or go visit some uh, 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 Myanmar. You, you go visit some place that has real poverty, and you'll discover you are rich. Samson grew up in a privileged home where he was the center of attention. He grew up in a place thinking that, oh, God's got a plan for my life. He had never touched a dead thing, never went to get the haircuts. And no doubt, like the girl with 330,000 Instagram followers, something special about me. I just need to learn how to follow it. The second thing we see about Samson's life is that he's not afraid to take something if he likes it. Judges 14, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah, saw a woman there of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah. Now, therefore, go get her for me. You think I'm making this up? That's exactly what it says. Go get her for me. I like her. There's no prayer. There's no seeking for advice. He just sees a woman. He says, I like that. Bring her to me. Can I tell you? It's, it's comical to read it, but that's exactly how people make decisions. Oh, look at that car. Woo! I look good in that car. Bring it to me. How much do I have to pay? I don't care. How long will I be in debt? Ah, it doesn't matter. Oh, go to school at which university? Oh, oh how far in debt do I have to go for the next 20 years? Ah, it doesn't matter. Because I get a paper with my name on it that says I'm smart. <laughs> this is how we make decisions in life, isn't it? What do I have to do? Just bring her to me. Just following the desires of his flesh. Can I tell you, this, this decision was about the woman he's going to marry. There is no more important decision to make in life than that decision right there. And he treats it like he's bringing home a cow. Yeah, she looks good. Going to provide lots of milk for me. Bring her on over. <clears throat> third thing we learn from Samson's life is in the same chapter, Judges 14, 5 and 6, Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, came to the vineyards of Timnah, and to his surprise, a young lion roaring came out against him. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn apart a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then you read later on in verse 8, that when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, this is a, a little bit hard to understand, but remember that Samson had, had made a vow to God that he was not going to touch anything dead, right? That was part of the deal. You're going to be my deliverer. You're not going to touch anything dead. And for the whole, his whole life, that's what he's trying to do. But here it says 
that we, he went back to see this lion, the place where he had had this incredible victory, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey that had in the carcass of the lion. And he says, ooh, I like honey. And he gets a little grumble in his tummy, and he reaches into the carcass of this dead thing. He pulls out the honeycomb, and he's chomping it down. And what does this tell us about Samson? It tells us that he doesn't mind breaking rules. Rules don't apply to me. I'm Samson, after all. I can do what I want. If I'm hungry, I'll take that honey if I want to. It goes on to say that in that same chapter in verse 12 that he, he poses a riddle. He thinks he's so smart. He poses a riddle to the people and he do, plays all these little games. Listen to me tonight. What we learn from Samson's story is the story of pursue your desires. Pursue your individual wants against any expectation that would hold you back. Your true self is out there somewhere. All you have to do is go and search for it. Don't let the traditions of the past hold you back. Don't let that church tell you what's right and wrong. Don't let the Bible dictate what is best for you. All you must do is seek and find your truth and your righteousness and your life. The modern desire to blaze our own trail. He's going to go off into the sunset. His heart beating with passion and possibility. And he's pursuing all of these desires with all of this amazing God-given talent. Honestly believing that they would lead him to greatness. But just like every one of those decisions, every time we make a decision like that, we think it's going to build something beautiful for our future, but we don't know that we are being led directly to destruction. Every decision that he's making through chapter 14 and chapter 15, even though he's seeing amazing victories, God still is giving him strength to overcome the Philistines. God is giving him this incredible supernatural strength every time he faces a battle and God gives him that strength to defeat them single-handedly. God is still with him. And in his mind, he's saying to himself, well, if God was against me, I wouldn't be winning victories then, wouldn't I? We tell ourselves the same thing. We find ourselves involved in activities that are shameful. And we say to ourselves, well, God didn't strike me down with lightning yet, so he must be okay with it. Or God, you know, I, I, I'm talking to that woman that I shouldn't be talking to because I'm married. Or we go to that place that we shouldn't be going to because I'm a Christian. And we say, well, God didn't, you know, I, I put my hand in my jacket and I pulled it out and there, it, was, it was normal still. So God must be okay with that. And we tiptoe, step by step, following our selfish desires, thinking that God's okay. But it's not okay. Galatians 6-7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Along the way, Samson is sowing seeds of destruction. Sowing a seed of corruption. Sowing a seed that one day is going to come back and consume him. And if he was to look back on it, like we did tonight, we could look back and see the evidence of where those seeds have been dropped. And he'd say, now I understand. But in the moment, he couldn't see it so often. That's how we are. That's where we are. The reason that we are facing the issues we face today is because of seeds that have been planted in months and in years past. Stick with me tonight. We're going to close. I want the young people especially to hear me well tonight. Following your heart is one of the dumbest things you could ever do. I remember being in high school and getting your yearbook every year. That was one of the most common things people would write in the yearbook, right? Oh, Adam, you're so cool. Make sure you follow your heart the rest of your life. After I became a Christian and I figured this out, I went back and scribbled all that junk out of my yearbooks. You know what happens when you follow your heart? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? David said in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin My mother conceived me. Matthew 15, Jesus said, Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and blasphemies. Now in the scripture that we started with tonight, in Judges chapter 16, we see the results of the heart follower. What will happen tonight if we continue to follow our heart? to chase and pursue the dream of self-fulfillment. Verse 17 says that he told her all his heart. He just gave all the secrets away. You know, Delilah, we, we, we give a lot of credit to Delilah for, uh, for you know, tempting Samson and for uh, being this, uh, this, this temptress against him. But, you know, she, she didn't do much. Samson defeated himself. He gave it all away. He put his head in her lap. And she was there saying, oh, Samson, you're such a good guy. And she's massaging his little scalp and making him feel all good about himself. Just tell me all your secrets, Samson. And out they came. Blah! Truth has a way of coming out. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines. And right there, Delilah reveals her true intentions. And everyone that Samson thought was important to him, all of a sudden turns on him. Reminds me of that story, the prodigal son. As as long as there's money in his pocket, the party is following him wherever he goes. As long as he's got the inheritance from Papa. He's in the far country partying it up, man. Living the the cool life. Going to the club. Playing the the lottery, man. 
making sure that life is worth living. But, you know, when the money runs out, what did he say? He had no one. He had nobody that cared about him. I work with a guy, and uh, it's, man, such an amazing story. But by his, his own admission, he says, I was a raging alcoholic. He's, young, he's younger than me. I think he's probably 32 or 33 years old. But for a large portion of his adult life, he was a raging alcoholic. And he worked at um, the Apple store when I was there for a few years. And uh, as long as he was working, man, and he had an income and he had a paycheck and he would go out on the weekends and he would party and he'd have a good time. And uh, the problem was that he couldn't think straight. That's what alcohol does to you. He couldn't think straight. He, he would barely ever be sober. He lost his job. He lost all his money. And that means he lost all of his friends. And what he told me was, I learned something in that time. He said he, he ended up going to jail. He went, did three DUIs, went to jail for almost a year. And he said, you know, none of those friends that I partied with, none of them ever came to visit me. None of them ever came or sent money to my account. None of them ever took care of my wife. He said, I learned who my true friends were. They weren't a party crowd. Samson understood in a moment that this woman he was putting all of his trust in had betrayed him. All the people he was trying to impress. You know, we spend so much energy focused on what are the people who follow me on social media? How are they going to react to this post? It's going to be great. Can't tell you, they don't really care about you. <laughs> if social media was gone tomorrow, nobody would notice. Ultimately, it led to Samson's demise. Verse 21, the Philistines took him and put out his eyes brought him to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in prison. Hear me well tonight. The wages of sin is death. That is a principle. That is like gravity of the spiritual world. When you sin, when you seek selfish desires, it always leads to death and slavery. They put out his eyes. He no longer had vision to see. They bound him with fetters. Matthew 16, 26. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What profit is it if we get everything we've been chasing and are still empty? That's what happens when we seek selfish desires. When we only think of ourselves first. That's what happens to people like this. They end up bound in their own selfishness. Can't even see how far they've fallen. But I want to close and give you some hope tonight. There is a scripture at the end of what we read tonight. That gives us incredible hope. Verse 22 says that the hair of his head began to grow. 
again after it had, had been shaven. The hair of his head began to grow. We know the end of this story. I'm not going to take all the time to read it for you tonight, but as Samson's hair begins to grow, so also returns his supernatural strength. And one day he's there in the midst of this Philistine. He's like a clown show. He's like the sideshow that everybody comes to watch. Hey, let's come watch Samson. Remember him? Yeah, he used to win all those victories against us, and his selfish ambition led him here. And the Bible says that one day when the Philistines were gathered there mocking him, laughing at him, that he got his hands on some pillars of that building and said, God, he prayed. This is the only time we see Samson praying. And he says in verse 28, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And he took hold of the pillars which supported the temple. He braced himself on his right and his other on the left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So listen, the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. God gave him one last victory. And how did he get there? Because finally he found himself in a place where he needed God. Let me ask you tonight, have you found yourself in that place yet? Have you come to the point in your life where you are no longer impressed by the accolades of the world? Or so-called friends or social media? I want to tell you tonight that at some point in our life, If if all we do is seek our own selfish ambition, it leads us down, down, down until the point that the only place we can look is up. Samson found himself at the bottom and finally looked up and prayed. I pray for young people. You know, they say some people got to learn the hard way. I pray you don't have to. I pray you can learn from a fool like Samson. Learn from someone else's mistakes before you have to make your own. I've seen people that for years of their life run from God. Run from what's true. Oh, don't limit my choices, Pastor. Don't limit what I want to do with my life. All the while running into bondage, slavery, and blindness. But the hope is here. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the hall of fame of our faith. It is the list of heroes of the Old Testament. And there's some big names in there. There's Abraham, the father of our faith. There's Moses, the lawgiver. There's David. There's all these amazing history, heroes of... Bible history, but there's a little verse in there that sometimes we read over and miss. It's in verse 32. Hebrews eleven thirty-two says this. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson. He made it, man. Samson. 
Can you believe Samson got into Hebrews chapter 11? I can't believe it. The dude made so many dumb choices. He acted more like an animal than a man half of the time. But there he is as a hero of faith. What does that tell us tonight? No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how selfish you've been, when you put your life in the hands of the maker and surrender to him, say, Lord, I don't want to have choices. I choose you. You are my choice. You show me where to go. You show me how to live. Then what this does is it begins to promote us in his kingdom. Have you done that tonight? Have you put your life in his hands? Have you cried out to him? He said, Lord, teach me how to not be so selfish. Think about myself first, my comforts, my desires. Because one day, Lord, one day I want to be in your hall of fame, of faith. Let's bow our heads tonight. Close our eyes for just a few moments as we bring this service to a close. And bring this thing in for a landing tonight. And as God is dealing with our hearts, God is speaking to us once again. I want you to take a few moments and begin to examine your own life. The sickness of selfishness infects every person here. It is part of the sinful nature that we've all been born with. We've all come into this world bearing the sickness of our sin. It's a cancer that throughout our whole lives begins to eat away at our hearts, our minds, everything that we are. And sin, if it is not dealt with, if we are not willing to deal with it, will ultimately consume us all. The Bible, again, it said that the wages of sin is death. But I've got some good news for you. That's not the end of the Scripture. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm here to give you the opportunity to receive that gift. The gift of eternal life. The gift that you don't deserve. The gift that none of us could earn. But the gift that God has waiting in store for us tonight, if we would simply receive it by faith. If we would repent of our sins, turn away from our selfish desires and our selfish abilities. Say, Lord, I don't want to live like that anymore. God, would you forgive me? Would you set me free? I was a teenager when I did that for the first time and really meant it. Say, God, I don't want to live a selfish life all about me and my desires, my comforts. God, I don't want my sins to destroy me. And I cried out to God. I didn't even know if He was there. God, if You're there, Would you answer my prayer? I need you to show me. And when I did that, church, God made Himself so real. He forgave my sins. He made me a new person. I was born again. 
old things passed away and everything became new. And I'm telling you, tonight, that, that can happen for you. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about a new life with Christ. And I want to give an opportunity tonight to someone here. That's what you need. You've been seeking your own desires, your own comforts. But it's time now to surrender to the God who made you. To Maybe after a long time, you've been through a lot of stuff. And finally now, your eyes are open. See, Samson, he didn't have eyes in his head. But at the end of the, the story, he saw more clearly than he ever had before. Because he knew who to cry out to. Do you tonight... Have you cried out to the Lord to save your soul? Have you asked for forgiveness? Have you asked Him to change your life? If not, tonight I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you, say, Pastor, please pray for me. I need Jesus. I need His forgiveness. I need His power to transform me tonight. I would love to pray with you. Would you lift up your hand so I can see it? Is there anyone here? That's what you need in your life tonight. You've been running from God, but He's found you. And you're believing tonight that even though your life is messed up, there's a God who can forgive you. If you believe that and you want to receive that, let me see your hand tonight. Is there anyone here? Or perhaps uh, there was a time that you served God, but like that prodigal son, you've been running from the Father's house. Tonight you're living in that far country. And now you've heard His voice. It's time to come home. Is there anyone here? You, the Spirit of God moving on your heart tonight leading you in your thoughts in this moment. I want to pray with you. Would you lift up your hand? Is there someone here? Quickly, quickly, as we hold this out, one more moment. Anyone at all, quickly tonight, as God deals with our hearts. Thank God for His mercy and His grace. And let me change this call. We want to open up this altar for prayer tonight. What we do is we're going to come together and we're going to ask God to search our hearts. Lord, if there is in me a root of selfishness, God, I want you to show me. I want you to reveal it because selfishness has the ability to derail our lives for the Lord. To steal our potential for God. To blind us to what God has for us. My prayer is tonight that God would be able to, to save you before you make the bad decisions like Samson did. Amen. If we could stand to our feet in this place, I want to open up this altar for prayer. We're going to sing a song of worship together. If the Lord's leading you tonight, we thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.